Talk 1110-993-WBT, hour number two underway, and I want to welcome to the program, back to the program, I should probably say, Mitch Kokai from the John Locke Foundation, and uh, I'm sorry, Mitch, I, I don't have your title in front of me. We kind of just threw this all together real quickly, but how are you doing? I'm doing fine, and the title is not a big deal. You could just say I'm with the John Locke Foundation. All right. Big, big news today. Yeah, so and I've, I've kind of been reading, because it just came down uh, right before... Uh, I got on the air here about an hour ago, and so I kind of was reading it live on the air, just the uh, the initial pages. I think I got through about page six or seven of it. Um, I have not even really gotten to the descent. So, could are you able to to start with the with, with the descent in this Leandro case? Certainly, and what we're talking about here, of course, is a four three ruling from our state supreme court. It fell along party lines. Justice Robin Hudson, who's retiring and is not running in the re-election bid that will uh, take place next week, uh, she wrote the opinion for the court's four Democrats. And uh, as you said, you've already been talking about some of her findings. All three Republicans dissented, and Justice Phil Berger Jr. wrote that dissent. He starts his dissent with a number of interesting quotes from previous court rulings, and then basically says that the... uh, uh, we see in this opinion the arbitrary usurpation of purely legislative power by four justices. Interesting that he used usurpation because there has been talk, been talk about labeling the four Democrats on the state Supreme Court the usurper four. Oh, really? Because of this case, but because of what they did on the constitutional amendments case where they decided that voters uh, could not vote in 2018 for voter ID and to cap state income taxes, uh, and that decision was going to be made for them by judges instead. So uh, he says, we see in this opinion the arbitrary usurpation of purely legislative power by four justices. The majority affirms the trial court order, which strips the General Assembly of its constitutional power to make education policy and provide for its funding. Also, interestingly enough, Justice Phil Berger uh, referenced an old dissent by uh, uh, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, in which he said, sometimes cases come before this court and they look like a wolf in sheep's clothing because it's hard to find out what the, what the real uh, outcome of the case would be, but sometimes the wolf comes as a wolf. And in this case, Berger writes, indeed, this wolf comes as a wolf. So very strong words in the dissent. Uh, he also says, fundamentally and contrary to what plaintiffs executive branch defendants, and the court's majority would have the public believe this case is not about North Carolina's failure to afford its children with the opportunity to receive a sound basic education. The essence of this case is power. Mm -hmm. Who has the power to craft educational policy and who has the authority to fund that policy? Right, because the the opportunity for a sound basic education seems like uh, a... It's almost like punching smoke. How, how do you get at who has an opportunity and who doesn't? I, mean, I guess it would be pretty obvious if you were in a county where every single school uh, had you know no running water, no teachers, and everybody was failing everything. Uh, that would be pretty obvious, I think. But if I could point to a school that's got a 50% pass rate or, a, or even a 30% pass rate, does that mean then that you have the opportunity, if you're going to that school, there is an opportunity for that education because obviously some people are getting it? That makes it such a hard case for a judge to decide, and that's been one of the arguments against 
having judges decide this. That this is basically a policy issue, and uh, if you don't like the way that schools are funded, you can get a new General Assembly to, to do new funding for the schools. But uh, remember that this case had two main parts to it in its latest iteration, and that is, can a trial judge order state government to spend more money on education than what is spelled out in the approved budget, and in this case, an approved budget signed by the governor, so Mm -hmm. agreement to both the legislative and executive branches. Can a court order more spending beyond that? And then two, and this is just as, if not more important constitutionally, can the judge, after making that order, force state government officials to transfer money to deal with that court order bypassing the General Assembly and its constitutional control over the Treasury. What the state Supreme Court has decided today is, yes, a judge can step in and force state government officials to move money out of the Treasury to fund this court-ordered Leandro plan, and that is what's drawing the ire from folks who are interested in a constitutional rule of law, including the three Republican justices on the state Supreme Court who dissented. Right, because now it puts, and this is the state comptroller, correct? That uh, is sort of uh, at the at the pivot point, right? Is at the fulcrum here, where uh, they're going to have to make this decision on whether or not to move the money, and then that might open them up to some sort of uh, you know action from the legislative body to say you're acting in an unconstitutional fashion. And I don't know what the remedy for that would be. Like, does that person lose their job or something? Could they be charged with uh, violating an oath of office? Or I I don't know. I know nothing really about the state comptroller in this case. But uh, this this person now has a decision to make, I guess. Yeah, there are really three pieces of this puzzle because the order deals with both the director of the Office of State Budget and Management, who works for Governor Cooper and presumably would uh, be interested in going along with what the governor wants, and the governor wants this spending. Uh, Then there is the state controller. We had a state controller, Linda Combs, who was the one who initially filed a complaint about the forced money transfer, which got the case back to the state Supreme Court. She has since retired, and her uh, replacement, the acting controller, Nels Roseland, has gone along with Linda Combs' legal strategy, but during his confirmation hearing, when there was a a direct question to him about whether he would go along with the Supreme Court ordering him to to move money, what would he do? He did not answer. Three times, Senator Ralph Hayes asked him directly, will you go along with the Supreme Court order to transfer this money? He would not answer. And then the third piece of this, and this is an interesting political element, too, is that the state treasurer is also involved. And Dale Falwell has not been a fan of this idea of the force money transfer. And so we're awaiting word from Treasurer Falwell about what he will do if he is called upon to play a role in this money transfer. So I'll ask you the question that a a caller just asked me and get your answer on it. Um, Why hasn't the legislature tried to solve this problem or get involved in it uh, before now? Well, uh, that is an interesting question, because this case dates well back into the 1990s. And my sense is that during the the course of time when the Democrats controlled the General Assembly, there was not as much of a concern about the courts ordering the state to spend money, because that would give them an excuse to spend more money. If the courts had said, 
look, you got to spend more money. The General Assembly at that time would have said, well, you know, the courts told us we had to do it, so we have to spend the money. I think that when Republicans took control of the General Assembly, one of the reasons why they didn't just jump in and end this Leandro case as soon as they could is that at that time, what was happening in Leandro was that a, a, a judge named Howard Manning would every few months bring in officials from the Department of Public Instruction and complain to them about their inadequate efforts to uh, remedy the Leandro funding. So having a judge uh, yell at DPI was not something that really bothered Republican <laughs> legislators at the time. It's only been really since the, the, the November 2021 order calling for the forced money transfer that legislators have decided to get involved in this case, and some might say it's too little too late now. So um, I'm now, I'm of the opinion, I'm not a fan of government-run K-12 education, just cards on the table. Um, I my, uh, my advice, for whatever that's worth, but I, I'll just throw this up and see what you think. Um, if we don't move to a voucher system now, I, I, I don't see a better opportunity to do so. And I think it actually satisfies this idea that the state's providing the opportunity for a sound basic education. Give every kid the 8000 or $9,000 per pupil funding. You, you, you give, them, uh, give them the money. Let them choose. Everyone has an opportunity. Does this, do you think the voucher movement or the choice movement gets empowered by this decision or hurt? I think certainly people who believe in vouchers are going to be looking at this ruling and saying, this is just more fuel for the fire. One thing to keep in mind, though, is part of today's ruling says that uh, the case goes back to a trial judge, and presumably it'll be Judge Michael Robinson, who's been the one dealing with this case since March. Uh, he has to determine the amount of money that's going to be transferred. My guess is it's going to be something less than the $785 million that he ordered in April because he will incorporate whatever is in the latest state budget that deals with Leandro issues. But then the, the court order from the four Democratic justices says that the trial court is going to keep this case and continue to monitor how the various parties are dealing with it. So this would not even end Leandro. It would continue no. on as it has for 25-plus years. Good Lord. No end in sight. Mitch Kokai from the John Locke Foundation. I do appreciate you taking the time, uh, jumping on real quick with us, and for your uh, your uh, insight and uh, expertise on this. Thanks, Mitch. Thank you, Pete. Have a great weekend. Yes, sir. You too. Mitch Kokai from the John Locke Foundation. I didn't even get to the part to see. That's such a... Oh, that's depressing. It's not even going to end. It never ends. <laughs> Talk 1110-993-WBT, the Pete Callender Show. 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. The email is Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. I got, uh, let's see, we got George on the line here. Hello, George. Welcome to the program. How are you? Good afternoon, Pete. I'm great, thanks. Hey, uh, let me preface this, my comment question, with the fact that I understand fully that I am not the smartest guy listening to your program. Me neither. I'm not even the smartest guy in my core group of peers. <laughs> but I, like you, believe that words have meanings and those meanings matter. Mm -hmm. And when the Constitution states that the obligation of the state is to provide an opportunity for said education, did not the state build the buildings and buy the books, and put the desks, and hire the buses, 
and then come up with a system where teachers would be put in the classroom. So the opportunity is there. If the teachers aren't doing their job, why aren't we not suing these teachers or the teachers' union, not a union, for not doing their jobs? Because the opportunity is there. If it's not getting done properly, go after the people who aren't doing the job. See, now I suspect I'm not even the smartest person in this conversation uh, because that makes a lot of sense to me. I think, actually, I think that's why, I think that's how they went after or why they went after the Board of Education and the DPI, the executive branch. I think, you know, that the original uh, targets of the lawsuit were the executive branch. And maybe for the reason that you're stating is that all of this money has been allocated for all of these schools the poorer counties, remember, keep in mind, like the counties, uh, they fund the construction costs. The state funds operations. And in a lot of these poor counties, they could not raise any revenue to pay for new schools. And now Republicans have actually changed that. They're now building schools, like you said, right? So the Republican legislature has been putting money into the uh, low-wealth counties in order to build new buildings. I think maybe even in other counties as well. But um I don't and know of the wealth of the county. Mm-hmm. It's a basic education, right? And in my definitions, reading, writing, arithmetic. So if we've built a building in the lowest, we've met the minimum criteria. We put a building in the lowest money county, and we put a teacher there. They have the opportunity to get a basic education, right? Because it seems to me like if the money is there, the school is there, the teacher is there, the administrators are there, if all of these systems that are in place in all these other counties, if if the same systems are in place all over, then everyone has that opportunity and just people are not taking advantage of it. Or the job's not being done properly. So stop asking us for more money, teachers, not teachers, not teachers' union, and go after them. Yeah. Don't go after the government. The government did their job. They met their obligation by putting the infrastructure in place. Right, but see this see your argument George makes too much sense. So, um this is why uh, you can't you can't you can't negotiate with these folks. There's I figured I must have just been too simple to understand it. Yeah, you and me both. I I, I don't know. George, I appreciate the call. It's a great point. Um you you can't negotiate with with these folks because you don't know what their end zone is. You don't know what the goal is. You don't know what the objective is. Because as uh, Mitch Kokai mentioned, the the Supreme Court did not even end this case with this ruling. This thing is going to stay at the trial court forever. There's no end in sight. And that's precisely the point. I'm reading through the, uh, the dissent. The dissent is like 80 pages. The opinion is about 140. Um... See, here's an email from Denny. It says, uh, thanks so much for exposing, again, the overreach of the state Supreme Court with the Leandro case and others. I quite enjoy hearing you expose governmental abuse. Well, thank you, Denny. I enjoy doing it. Uh, So I guess now, anytime the judges don't like the appropriations of the legislative branch, they'll just have to get somebody to file a suit so they can dictate the appropriations themselves. No, I'm not sure... That's what our forefathers had in mind as a system of checks and balances. Keep up the good content. Thank you, Denny. I appreciate it. Um, no, and in fact, the uh, the dissent written by Phil Berger Jr., son of Phil Berger, the state senator, pro tem, Senate pro tem, um, or president pro tem, uh, Berger starts off the dissent thusly, as Mitch uh, Kokai referenced, frequently an issue of this sort, 
will come before the court clad, so to speak, in sheep's clothing. The potential of the asserted principle to affect important change in the equilibrium of power is not immediately evident, and it has to be discerned by a careful and perceptive analysis. But this wolf comes as a wolf. The accumulation of all power, and that is a quote, by the way, from a case Morrison v. Olson in uh, The Descent written by Justice Antonin Scalia. He then quotes James Madison in Federalist Number 47, the accumulation of all powers, legislative, executive, and judiciary in the same hands, whether of one, a few, or many, and whether hereditary, self-appointed, or elective, may justly be pronounced the very definition of tyranny. And then he quotes George Carey and James McClellan in their Reader's Guide to the Federalist, said, quote, by tyranny, Madison means arbitrary, capricious, and oppressive rule by those possessing any two of these powers. Berger then says, we see in this opinion the arbitrary usurpation of purely legislative power by four justices. The majority affirms the trial court order which strips the General Assembly of its constitutional power to make education policy and provide for its funding. Indeed, this wolf comes as a wolf. The legislative, executive, and supreme judicial powers of the state government shall be forever separate and distinct from each other. That is from our state constitution, Article 1, Section 6. That is clear. It is unambiguous. It is the principle upon which rests the fabric of our government. Legislative, executive, and supreme judicial powers are forever separate and distinct from each other. And what this court, these four Democrat lawyers in robes, what they have now decided is they're going to actually set appropriation levels for an executive branch function. This is why I say this is a constitutional crisis we now find ourselves in, and this is where we've been uh, headed with this Democrat majority on the court. Time after time, example after example, case after case, they keep pushing us here. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Got a tweet here from The Hellion who says, why isn't anybody suing the hell out of someone over this education money stuff all the way to the Supreme Court? The legislature best not let this become a precedent. That's uh, yeah. I anticipate there has got to be some litigation that's going to flow from this, but I don't know under what grounds. You know, not a lawyer. So, um, but yeah, it's a terrible precedent. And so here you go. Look at this. So I got a. This is Christopher Nordstrom, who is a uh, leftist education activist guy uh, for the NC Justice Center, North Carolina. Uh, Justice Center, which is the, you know, it's under that umbrella of the, like the the left-wing groups, the Budget and Tax Center and all that, whatever. Anyway, Christopher Nordstrom responded to, because I sent out a tweet and I said, it's time to move to a 100% voucher system for all K-12 students. Thus, the state fulfills its obligation for providing the opportunity for a sound basic education and this entire Leandro mess is finished. And He says, statewide voucher programs have been shown to have a more negative impact on test scores than the pandemic. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I don't, it, it is completely irrelevant now to me. 
what test scores are. Completely irrelevant. The only thing that matters now is the opportunity for a sound basic education. That's it. You got the opportunity. And if you can't get it with a K-12 model school, then we're done. Because they, you, you, they tried. See, now because now you forced this issue. You lefties that sued and, and kept this thing going and the, the Democrat judges. Now this is the, the point here, right? Which is you tried to build a K-12 government model. You put it into the Constitution. You said everyone has to have this opportunity. Okay. You had all this time to do it. And even with the funding levels that you currently have, you couldn't do it. Which tells me we're done. We're going to do something different. We're going to try something else because your model didn't work. It's not the money. The original judge in the case, Howard Manning Jr., said that repeatedly. It's not a question of the funding. Let me go over here and get Bain on the program. Hello, Bain. How are you? I'm well. How are you doing? I'm all right. What's going on? Well, just along what you were saying now, not being the money, and I, and I got to back up a little bit in my small mind because you and that previous caller, you guys have forgotten more than I know. What was the nature of the deficiency that necessitated a remedy? Help me understand that. The orig- from, from the Leandro plaintiff originally was that they were in a, uh, I think it was Hope County, and they were at a, in a very poor school district. And the school district could not raise the revenue, essentially, to build new buildings and to give supplemental teacher pay, like, say, Mecklenburg County can, um, right? because we can raise our taxes. We have a, a, a diverse tax base, and, and we have a lot more people, and, and uh, you know, tax assessments generate more revenue here. And so they could uh, – we were able to and have been able to give supplemental uh, teacher pay for our teachers, so – you could attract more teachers here from around the state and the teachers would leave these rural areas. And so that was the original complaint that the state wasn't doing enough to fund the rural districts. Okay. So how does, I I go along with that. How does money improve education? How does it do it? Well, obviously there's, I mean, if you don't have any money, you don't have any building, you don't have a teacher, you don't have school books, right? So everybody, I think, agrees that there is some level of funding that's required, right? That you got to have money to fund the operation to some extent. The okay. question is, yeah, the question is to what extent, right? That's the, the question is from, from what is the minimum to what is the maximum, right? And this is why I always ask the question whenever we talk about like per pupil expenditure or teacher pay, I always ask, What's the optimal number? Tell me what the number is. And exactly. you usually don't ever get an answer from people. Well, all right, then these things don't happen in a vacuum. They were not short all of a sudden. Why sue? Who in, in a lawsuit, there's somebody hurt. Who are we trying to make whole? The kids. How? Because the gone. 25, they got grandkids now. Right. Well, actually, the uh, the the kid who was the plaintiff, his na- last name Leandro, uh, he's now a lawyer, and he actually works for a law firm that's involved in this litigation. If I recall correctly, uh, that's how old uh, this lawsuit has been. But th- and this is the right. problem: is that the lawsuit has continuously evolved. There have been plaintiffs added. Uh, defendant uh, defendants added. Some have dropped off. Some have been removed. So there there are, it's been this. This evolving case for now almost 30 years, there's no end in sight. It's just, it's just uh, this latest ruling now seems to me to be 
just uh, an invitation for blank check writing, you know? Yeah, no, you're right. I'll tell you, lawyers make laws that benefit lawyers. <laughs> well, particularly when uh, Republicans uh, control governments, lawyers make a lot more money because yeah. uh, Democrats love to sue uh, Republican legislatures. Uh, hey, uh, Bain, I appreciate the call, buddy. Thanks so much. See you, man. All right, see you. Let me go over here to George. Hello, George. Hello, George. Hey, Pete. Hey. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, yeah. You, you lit a fire because this business of school vouchers, uh, Mike, the company I have, we we have relationships with private schools. We, we, we're a vendor for them. Okay. And one school in particular that I'm working with, they are their tuition is less than half of the state funding that you cited. All of their students are on grade level. All of their students graduate, and they're doing it at half the cost. And uh, many students who are poor are on scholarship or financial assistance. Mm-hmm. So you make a great point. Give the money to the parents. The parents will find the best school for their child. Problem solved. Right, and it, it, it'll think of the legal fees that we would save. How much legal fees have we spent out of state coffers on this litigation yep. over 30 years? Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Now, appreciate the call, yep. George. Thanks. Thanks, Pete. All right, man. Um, I, I saw the other day, you know, with all of the test results that uh, came out after the, you know, pandemic and all the learning loss and all that, I saw somebody had taken the the all of the Catholic schools – and if you put them all together into a single data point, they beat every single state in America. Catholic schools kept their kids learning better than any other state in America. So, yeah, let the money follow the kid. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Just for your information, the total education spending in North Carolina accounts for 60% of the total budget. Right? Six out of every $10 or 60 cents out of every dollar, right? It's 60% is spent on education. So we're $15 billion. The vast majority of that, 10 of it, 10 Point six billion, and this is from the last budget cycle. Ten point six billion is for K twelve. It's now like probably eleven. You're telling me you can't educate kids. You cannot provide a sound basic, or we haven't we, that we haven't been providing a sound basic education. We haven't been providing the opportunity for that to the tune of eleven billion dollars, guys. The experiment is over. You're done. You don't get any more cracks at this. You have failed. If you can't spend $11 billion and give every kid an opportunity for a sound basic education, the model is foobar. You're done. Voucherize the whole system or privatize it. Hello, Craig. Welcome to the program. What's going on? Hey. Hey. How you doing today? I'm all right. What's up? Um, so I want to kind of tell you about my experience with CMS. Uh, I went to West Charlotte High when I was in... Uh, freshman that was back in like 98 mm-hmm. um so that place was pretty much just a babysitting institution for future felons mm. 
And you could have it had Einstein as a teacher in there, and he would be more likely to get assaulted than to raise anybody's grades. Mm-hmm. So uh, there, there's nothing that can be done in, in a lot of these schools to, to bring up. It's it's a culture amongst the students. You know, now when I got my parents yanked me out of there and put me in pants, the course load seemed like it doubled. I mean, they clearly were dumbing down the course load at West Charlotte just to keep ninety percent of people from dropping out. Right. Well, and there is a financial inducement to keeping the the head count. Uh, you know, th- because if you don't have the kids in the class, you lose the, 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 the funding from the state. Absolutely. So they had to make, the, I mean, the, the, the amount of homework you were given and the amount of reading you required was, was so, I had, I passed with straight A's and everything. When I went to Vance, I struggled to get C's and B's. Hmm. Uh, just Is it possible that, or did you look into the, maybe, did you get stupid when you went to Vance? Did that happen? I'm just kidding. Uh, well, just... <laughs> I, I definitely got a bigger circle of friends at Vance. Ah, oh, okay. Um, well, there you go. <laughs> but uh, also I wanted to say that I don't see the voucher system working in a place like Charlotte because you're going to have every parent in the city chasing. They're trying to send their kid to one or two schools, and the waiting list is going to be so long, they're going to go through K through 12 and graduate before they ever are able to get in. Well, it, at the very beginning, you will have, obviously, more uh, more demand than supply, but the market will meet that that demand because that's what the market does. There will be people that say, "Okay, they want to go to a, they want to go to a good school. Parents want to send their kids to a good school. Let's make a good school." And then you will have private, have yeah, you'll have private entities that create good schools, and the ones that aren't good, people won't send their kids to, and they will close. True. I mean, it, I could see it maybe working and panning out over a decade or so, but you've got a lot of time for all these schools to be built, teachers to be hired. Um, I don't. I don't know. I just. I just see it maybe working in some instances, but a lot of kids sitting on waiting lists forever. And you could phase it in. Are able to get out. Look, look. Right now, I just advocate for the. I mean, you're talking about how do you get to the goal, and I'm just. I'm just talking about the goal. And if we, if if we can't get movement to uh, agree on the goal, then there's no point in discussing the process by which we get there, right? If there's disagreement and not enough support to get to the objective then why even bother worrying about the process? Now, if we all yeah. agree that we want a voucherized system and, and, and there's a push to do that, then, yes, we can talk process, and, and that can play out over the course of several years. And, look, I'm not, I want the, the, uh, the public school system. They can, they can compete. They absolutely can compete for the vouchers, right? I don't have any problem with that. If government wants to provide a safety net, and I, I, mean, I, I am open to the argument that it should, because there are people out there that don't even care about their own kids, right? So they're not going to care whether their kids get a good education or not. And so they're just going to send the kid to whatever school is closest to them, and that's not going to matter. Um, so there probably does need to be a safety net of government-run schools that accept the vouchers, too. And yes. Yeah, so I don't have any problem with that. And, and see, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an all-of-the-above kind of guy. Like, to each their own, let people choose, just like college, Right. People choose what colleges they want to get into or go to. So I think a model yeah. like that could work for K-12 as well. It, it could. And you have, well, I mean, one of the practical things is you kind of have to live close to where you're going to go to school. If you live in a bad area and you can't afford to get out, you're kind of stuck unless you want your kid riding a bus two hours to and from school each day. Um, or you, you know, have a parent stay home and drive them to school. So, but and like, I understand what you're saying. It's just going to be a while till we can build enough other schools to compete because, you know, Public, education, public schools are just going to stay the same until we rid everybody with a D beside their name from having anything to do with education. Which, right, and that's not going to even happen. I mean, this is a, you said it earlier, it's a cultural thing, right? A lot of times the schools and the teachers are being asked to do things and fix things that they can't. 
That's, they, they can't. How do you? How does a teacher fix a culture of criminality that exists in an entire society? Right. There's nothing they can do, and if right. they try, they're just going to get fired or non-promoted or right. assaulted. And, right. So there's. So this is why you would you would open it up and allow there. You mentioned like uh, neighborhoods where uh, if they're it's a poor neighborhood and they, they don't have anybody to uh, or they only have is that one school. Well, again, if now everybody has a voucher of eight to ten thousand dollars, some entrepreneur is going to say, "Hey, you know what?" I'm going to go and set up a school in that neighborhood, and I'm going to compete with that terrible school, and I'm going to take all their uh, kids, I'm going to get all that voucher money, and I'm going to actually educate the kids. I'm going to do it better than them. And once again, if they can't do it better than the government school does, then the, then the voucher school closes. That's the, that's the freedom to fail that the government schools don't have, and that actually induces excellence, right? The, if you fail, then you're, you're done. You're out of business, and, and, and no more mission, no more revenue. That, that's it. If a public school fails, they just stay open, they get more money, which is exactly what these judges just determined, that you're doing such a terrible job providing this education for the kids for so long, you need more money. That's what they just said. It's classic. I mean, this is a classic Democrat economic philosophy. It's so frustrating. Craig, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Thanks, man. Um, And I get the concerns. And here's the other thing to always keep in mind whenever having these types of policy discussions about what is the better route to go? Utopia or perfection? It's not one of the options available. Right? It's not one of the options. No system is going to be perfect. We're looking for a better system for more kids. That's the key. Uh-huh.